Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Yo, 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 welcome in to another episode of Black, Brown, and Bilingue. Uh, we are excited to be here doing things a little bit different. I know the last few episodes um, have been interviews with some of our spectacular guests, uh, but we felt like we really needed to drop this one in between middle of summer. I hope everybody is uh, well and relaxing. Lissette shared a story, and, and so we're going to open with that. Um, that'll help kind of get us to our topic today. Hello, everyone. It is so nice to uh, get on another episode with you, Maurice. It's been a minute. Um, so, you know, this past weekend was 4th of July. And in preparation for the holiday and having guests over, um, I was at Mariano's and I saw these cute American flag cakes and said, happy birthday, America, and all this cute stuff. And I was like, you know what? I like that. Let me let me go ahead and get a cake and, and some, I think I got candles too for America. <laughs> and I um, came home and I had some friends over. And one of them, who happened to be a Caucasian male, said, mm, why would you do that? And I'm like, because I was reflecting on my drive back home that had I been in any other country, I don't know that I would be afforded some of the things that I am afforded now. Um, you know, I have college degrees, plural. Um, I make a decent, oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I make a decent living. living. And, you know, I just I think that I had a moment where I thought I am accomplishing what my parents set out for us to do. Right. This is why they came here. And so I was feeling good, patriotic. And my friend was like, nah, I, I really don't feel that pride. And I was like taken aback. So fast forward a few days later. Uh, I saw a post that really stuck out to me. It said that we are the first developed country who is teaching their citizens to actively hate their own country. And I thought, man, this is a perfect topic for today. <laughs> and if y'all can see Maurice right now, he's got this look like. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have that look. I do have that look because. I do not hate America. I do not hate America. I, in fact, um, speaking of quotes, right? You know, and by the way, I want to just say this as a quick side note for everybody. Uh, I love Fourth of July. And one of the reasons I love it is because woke people always got, they post their obligatory, you know, woke 
conversation about Fourth of July, right? Like my people wasn't free, you know, and so I ain't celebrating to everybody free, and 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 we get it, we get it, we understand. I promise you. I had this conversation with a friend of mine who's in a local organization to help support the black community here in DeKalb. And I told her, I said, just go sit down and eat a hamburger. Ain't nobody asking you to celebrate. You ain't got to come in red, white, and blue. Okay. Just sit down and eat a hamburger. She said, I'm a vegetarian. I said, okay, impossible burger then. Okay. Just do your thing. But speaking of quotes, I saw a quote by James Baldwin. Uh, and his quote was this. I do not hate America. I love America. And it is that love for America that causes me to continually criticize it. Now, some of y'all have a mom that makes you understand, right? What that is. <laughs> um, you know, cause mom will tell you, baby, I'm just telling you because I love you. Right. Um, but there is a, there is a, a sense of reality to that for me. Um, I think particularly looking at this year and Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday, how is it that we can acknowledge that Juneteenth is a federal holiday, right? Which happens 90 years after the 4th of July. Um, and, and still want everybody to celebrate the 4th, like it has meant the same thing for everybody. So that's all for me. You know, that's, 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 that's my thought there. But Lisette, you had mentioned something about, you know, some other ways in which you see kind of some of that act of hate, though, that is perpetuated. Talk a little bit about that. You know, you know I'm going to be honest. I'm going through a mix of emotions because I think, you know, the last maybe 10 years, I would say, have been marked by a lot of unrest, right? We've seen so many things play out in the media. And I really didn't think much about it until when I saw this post. Like, I grew up singing patriotic songs in elementary school. That was part of our music program. Um, I cannot sing, but I do love... This land is your land. This land is my land. That's a bop. And I don't care what you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember singing a lot. 50 Nifty United States. That's how I can name them all. Um, so I don't know that we're doing that for our students the way in which we did it, you know, when we were going to school. And I think there's a room and a place for it, right? You can love your country. And precisely like you said, because you love it, you also have this belief that it could be even better. So, so for me, seeing that coupled with the attacks on critical race theory, you know, we have nine-year-olds protesting Black Lives Matter posters at school board meetings and, you know, parents saying, you know, it's time to wake up. The parents have been awakened because we now know what happens in, in classrooms via Zoom, right? That indoctrination that takes place. And I feel like we are in a very murky, confusing, dangerous time. Now, I'm, I'm going to just dabble for a moment in conspiracy theory, Maurice, conspir conspiracy theorist, Maurice, and say that that is on purpose. 
I'm sure. That, 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 that there is, that there is on both sides of the media, people profiting from the, the, the perpetuation of division. Mm, say that again. Say that again. Say that again. Yes. On both sides of the media, there are people profiting from the perpetuation of division. Mm. And, and so again, one of our, one of our points, right, is, is to bring unity between the black and brown community. But at this point, man, we may need to, to expand that because there is such disunity, um, that again is able to, to, to build. It's a moneymaker. I just read about these conservative news outlets who have popped up, right? I mean, even just within the last five months have popped up because now you can't even believe Fox News is what they're selling. Wow. Right? So if you are a conservative, you can't even believe Fox News because they said Joe Biden won. So again, if Fox News cannot be trusted, by the conservatives, then somebody else has popped up. This other organization had a had a private uh, or an exclusive interview with President Trump. So then guess who wants to come on their website and advertise, right? All these different conservative uh, senators and representatives that are up again. So now all of a sudden it is a money making industry. So that's the con- conspiracy theory side of it. Uh, and again, that's both left wing and right wing, there is money to be made through division. Mm, yeah, but yeah, but here, here's what I also think, though. I, I think that the cost for left and right is different, or what's at stake is is, is a little different. Um, you know, if you hear me out, Maurice is sitting here is shaking his head, but hear me, hear me out. I I think that yes, there is there are people who are uh opportunistic and trying to make some monetary gain on the left and right. However, I I think about our conversation with Neil, right? That the implications for leaning left or right are we have much more to lose in terms of freedom if we adhere, in my opinion, to that that right-wing side. I guess I would just jump in and say, um, you know, because I think of myself really as somebody who's fairly middle of the road because there are some some things um, that I just, that are very much so part of the, the Democratic Party platform that I, I I don't get down with, um, and and I'll I'll name one of them out loud, and 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 if anybody is listening and wants to come for me, that's okay because I'm willing to listen to you and I'm willing to engage in that conversation. That's another part that we'll have to come back to, um, but but I will just say that I think of abortion as being one of those things that the right wing feels like they are going to lose because we 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 value. There are folk who value life, believing that it begins at conception and, and some of these things, right? And so now the the, the let, me, let me flip on that. Can I can I go ahead? On the flip side, you can care about life at conception all you want, 
but look at our healthcare system. Look at what you're doing to to children at the border. So why not care about living, breathing life that already is here? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that would be the counter argument to that. And 100 percent is the counter argument. And here's my counter argument to that. You just made a great leap. You just made a great jump. And it is a jump that has been sold to you by leftist media. No, nah, it just don't make sense. No, no, no. I don't even watch the news, to be honest. I don't know. But, 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 but here's, that's okay. You're still, you're still being fed it. Here's, here's the jump that you just made. If you are for abortion, I'm sorry, if you are against abortion, you are for caging children. No, no, no. And that's, I, which is why I literally just said, I don't have a, I don't have an identity place because I'm not for abortion. However, I'm also not, I'm for life from the cradle to the tomb. Right. right. And I think and, that and I that's think, where, it, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think that part of the, part of the struggle here is, is that we have taken, we've taken political plat- party platforms and, and tied them into identity such that if you are this, Right. If you are any one of these things, you are all of these things. No, I, I think that it's the hypocrisy that for some folks, right, that. And I'm with you. I agree right, for some it's folks. The, it's, it's, the, it's the hypocrisy of we're pro-life, but when it comes to a, an already living person, suddenly that doesn't matter. Um, and here, here's another thing, you know, I, I respect and admire actually your candor for saying that you are anti-abortion because I know that that is um, a contentious topic. Um, and I don't, for me, I don't believe in it either in terms of like, like I would never have an abortion, right? Or God willing, something horrible happens and, or God forbid, I mean, <laughs> God willing, God forbid something horrible happens. But I also don't think the government should govern that. You see what I mean? And so, which then gets us to the next topic of, you know, oh, big government, big this, but you're literally telling women what to do with their bodies. So, so I think, I think, Lisette, where we're going to come back together on this is there is hypocrisy on that's, that's what, that's all I want to say is that there is hypocrisy on both sides because there are laws on the books in many states that if I'm driving a car left, you know, blue states and red states, if I'm driving a car and I hit a woman who is pregnant and her and the baby die, I'm going to be charged with two counts of vehicular manslaughter. So if I kill the woman and the child, I'm charged twice. If the woman decides that this is not what I want, then it's it's legal because it's decision. Now, again, lots of there's so much I, I dare not pretend like this is something that is cut and dry and simple and easy. And at the end of the day, I'm with you. As for me in my house, we would not do it that way. Um, I'm not into trying to 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 legislate morality. For my moral system, that's how I view it. That's where I'm at. And so I, I tend to respond to folk who feel that way. 
I, I think, though, that the, the, the truth is, right, is that there are people then who are considered right wing, who are anti-critical race theory, who are anti-cultural responsive teaching, but also criticize their country because of abortion laws, who also criticize their country because of marriage laws. And so my point is, is, is that that's hypocrisy for them to turn around and say, I hate my country because I criticize it because of its racial history, but you can criticize it because it doesn't agree with your religion. Mm, I got I, I get what you're saying. I'm I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and because the thing is, Lissette, I I try to I try to just be me like I try to keep it 100 all the time. Same. So no, so I'm I not going it. to I'm not going to step up and protect somebody on the left or protect somebody on the right if what they're doing is not like like right you know what i'm saying and so i but i think that that that's one of the things that has led to some of this attack that that people hate their country right is right so do you think because now you got me thinking (laughs) do you think that there are people on the quote unquote right who are starting to criticize America and they can get away with it? Yes. Uh, because more, more so than they could if they were on the quote unquote left. Yes. And and so here's the unfortunate reason why. The education level Tends to differ. It's very elitist of you, Maurice McDavid. I, I, listen, I, I just got to call it like like I see it. The education level tends to differ, um, and and so it is that. Actually, it's funny that you use that because it is that elitism, right? That is often used to attack the left. Well, you think you know everything because you went to some college or, you know, you just learned that on some socialist university and, you know, campus. And and so there is a little bit of that, whereas or or what I've seen, too, is. The commies are coming, the commies are at your doorstep or they're in the schoolhouse. Yeah, the red scare all over again. Right. Mm hmm. Um, It's wild. This is just wild times. It it is. It it really is. I think what's important, though, is to remember that sometimes our viewpoint is really limited by the time in which we live. And so we only see things like from our our now. And like if you were to talk to somebody who made it through the 60s, they might be like kind of chuckling at us like, oh, you think that's it? Right. You think that's something? Let me tell you about when they killed Edgar Evers or Medgar Evers. Let me tell you about, you know, remember they assassinated Bobby Kennedy, bro. Yeah. White Irish dude from the Northeast. If they can kill him. Do you think, okay, here, here's another one. I don't know. This is, so <laughs> you can edit this out if you want. Okay. But like, you know, often when you, for me, for instance, let's say a woman, a Latina or whoever, uh, non-Anglo, if we criticize America, what's the first thing people say? If you don't like it, 
go back to your country. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) and we keeping that in there, too. Right. Okay. so hear me out, though, like now I'm going to start telling these white folks to start criticizing America for being too liberal, too communist, too socialist. Go back to Europe. You don't trust our voting system. Go back to your country. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Go back to where you came from. Here's here's what's here's what's what's really interesting. When you talk to somebody who is an admitted white supremacist, they'll tell you, "No, I this country should be for whites. It was originally for whites, and it should continue to be for whites." But there are already brown people living here. I'm just telling you what they'll say. And we we dominated them. We overtook them. And so as a result, we've earned the right to run things the way we want. it. And now we're going to overrun y'all. How about that? Well, that's the thing about uh, systems, right? Is that um, you you you, and again, that historical perspective. So so let me ask you this, Lisette. Um, When. You think of this country, uh, even apart from the 4th of July, and you think about the 30-some years that you've had a chance to be here, grow up here, become the young adult that you are. I appreciate the young brother. I appreciate yes, yes, ma'am. My mama didn't raise no fools, so I, I threw it out there. Has it been more oppressive? or more opportunistic? Mm, okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to tell you how I feel. I can identify oppressive uh, systems that were at play growing up, but I was oblivious. And so I think growing up, I knew things were off. I don't think I understood the depth to which these systems were uh, operating at. In my 20s, I definitely was like, La Revolución. I was reading Che Guevara. Um, anything Che Guevara I could get my hands on, I literally was going to be a revolutionary. I, I, it sounds funny now, but like that's really where I was at. I, I have actually a lot of Che books. And then reality set in because I saw how it ended for the man. Um, and now while I... I I guess the best way to summarize it is I love the opportunities that I've been afforded. I don't like white supremacists and racism. And I don't know how much you can separate the two, but ultimately I think that that's, that's what it boils down to is I like the opportunities. I like what we have, but I think it can be approved upon. Now, there is a group of people who are making the argument that we are at a place where things cannot be approved upon, but instead, things must be dismantled and rebuilt. And so you'll hear that a lot in the conversation, for example, surrounding abolish the police. Because the argument is that there are structures 
foundational structures to this country mm-hmm. that were built in white patriarchy mm-hmm. as 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 its central thing, right? Mm-hmm. So so where do you I, I think okay. that is where that hate piece comes in, right? Because hold on, you want me to go back to the to the Constitution. You want me to go back to the Declaration of Independence and tear it down and then rebuild something new. Here's the thing though, Maurice, you gotta keep in mind that I grew up going back and forth to Mexico. And the corruption that I saw in broad daylight. I mean, we would drive sometimes, they would pull us over, go through our luggage, and the only way to get them off our backs was if we get, paid them off, gave them money. And, you know, they'd literally point rifle. I, I remember my mom, one of my the most vivid memories was she was so angry. She literally looked at them and said, this is why Mexico does not make any progress. And the man, what was it called? Cocked his rifle. Is that right? Yeah. And... He said, Senora, callese, and pointed it at her. So I grew up seeing that. And so to me, as a, as a woman, a brown woman who in your mind is, can be white passing, I, my, interactions, <laughs> <laughs> my interactions with the police, I know they're bogus, but they were more bogus in Mexico. Now, now hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think that the oppressive structure of the police and law enforcement in Mexico, it's it's very much class-based. It is horrible. Like, oh, it's just, it's so bad because they're in cahoots with the drug lords and the cartels and all of that. Um, It's bad here too, though. Right. Again, with that same thing. So to me, though, I have something else to compare it to. And so when I hear abolish the police, I I really don't have a reaction. I have a better reaction, though, with defund the police. Because I think that more money should go to like healthcare or mental health workers to address issues. So like my my. My gut reaction to defund the police is joy because I agree. Yeah. What about you, though? Like, do you do you really think abolishing the police is the answer? Ooh, I'm trying to think about who's going to listen to this. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, we gotta be. Uh-uh, we keep it real on BBB. I, exactly. So. Um, I do not believe that abolishing the police is is the answer in my book. I do. I'm I'm right there with you. I think we need to redirect funds. I have a friend who's a police. I got a couple of friends who are police officers, and I don't mean that in the same way that like people say. Oh, one of my best friends in college was black, right? <laughs> um, uh, but but, but in, tonight, well, well, the reason I bring it up though is because he he told me he says, listen. Um, 90% of police cases that come through our department go unsolved. So that means they're solving 
10% of the cases. So if that's the case, if police are only being reactive and they're only effective being reactive 10% of the time, Mm -hmm. then you ought to take some of that funds and be proactive. Mm -hmm. If you know that poverty produces anxiety and depression and anxiety and depression produce behaviors that we have coded as illegal. Or think about that conversation, engineered conflict. Correct. Correct. Yep. With Dr. Stovall. Then then my answer is go back and do some work on the proactive side. Right. Um, Or even on the reactive side, do some restorative work. How is it that we don't get this brother or this sister or 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 or, or this uh, uh, person um, to not repeat? How do we get them to not end up in this same exact place mm-hmm. where they were right uh, coming in? Now, I wanted to also comment, though, Lissette, because I, I appreciate the idea of bringing into perspective our nation by looking at other nations. I can tell you when I got the chance to go to Kenya, similarly, if you are driving along the highway, there's roads, uh, you know, strips out, road strips. You got to stop. Here's the crazy thing. Uh, the, my guide while I was in Kenya uh, said to me, half the guns that they're holding don't even actually fire. Wow. Because they're so old. But they've got the gun. You pay them off. You give them a couple of of, of Kenyan shillings, right? Um, and, and then you're able to keep it moving. So at this point, at 33, I've never been had an experience where a cop shook me down for money. It does happen here. And it does happen disproportionately to people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I would just say when I think about when I think about July 4th, what I think about is the birth of some incredible ideas. Mm. So I can celebrate the 4th in thinking about some of the incredible mm. ideas that were birthed there. Ideas that have yet to come into full fruition. And again, I, I'll, I'll go back to Dr. King said it this way. Uh, the, the, the Declaration of Independence, it was a promissory note. It's an uncashed check. Mm. Beautiful check. The check is of great value. But until it comes to fruition, until you've truly cashed it, then then that's all it can be, right? The idea that all men are created equal with inalienable rights. Yeah. Until that's practiced. <laughs> but, but bro, I'm going to bring it back. So you know how earlier you were talking about the media and the news and right and left, and we're talking about the ideas. What about this, like, phenomenon of of people of color buying into this rhetoric of like being anti-critical race theory, being uh, anti-culturally responsive teaching and leading standards. Like those folks exist. Some of these folks I went to school with and I'm like, what? I'm very, very perplexed. Putting it lightly. I think I think it speaks to something you said the other day. You you were talking Lissette about how women can buy into toxic masculinity. Sure can. Ugh. <laughs> and if women can buy into toxic masculinity, 
you better believe that black and brown people can buy into white supremacist thinking. Oh. And so if, if, uh, and again, I mean, we said this in the, I think probably the very first episode of our podcast, if all it took in America was hard work, your parents would be filthy rich. Right. Right. But that's just not the case. There are systems in place. And, 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 and now the actors in the system, some of them are completely oblivious to the system. So they're not acting on behalf of the system. They're not actively trying to be racist. But let me, let me give it to you like this. If you are a white business owner and all your buddies that you golf with are white, and one of their sons needs an internship for the summer. And one of my sons needs an internship for the summer. Baby, say it again. Who gets the internship? <laughs> Facts. So that's not because you don't like my son because he's black. But that's because the system of, uh, of our current racial system has made it such you only kick it with, with you know, your, your frat buddies. And now... The, again, old, old, old ways die hard. You know what I'm saying? So I'm gonna lie to you though. If I'm rubbing elbows with other brown people and they didn't need an industry, <laughs> you ain't you ain't wrong. <laughs> you ain't wrong. You are not wrong. Well, and I'll, I'll say it like this. Let me let me be careful here and and put on my HR hat. It is something I am actively in pursuit of facts. I want a staff that is diverse. Well, well, and here's, here's another thing too, right? Like that, when we talk about that proverbial seat at the table, this is you, that point highlights it perfectly. Black people know other black people, Mexican people know other Mexican people. And if you don't have that representation at the table where the decisions are being made, chances are you're not going to be able to recruit more of that, you know, because we have these companies. Oh, well, we're trying to recruit and we're trying to retain. But then you look around and it's like maybe one person, two at that. And it's like, that's not enough. And so, yeah, you know, this is complicated. Oh, habits do die hard. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? Because I think we're kind of just kind of this is like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there is a tendency to to admire the problem. Mm -hmm. And and I do think that there are some actionable steps that 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 we can take even at a basic like human level. Right. And so, yes, read the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. You know, if by the way, if you're listening and you don't actually know what critical race theory is, read about it. Listen to our episode with Dr. Stovall. Uh, absolutely. Um, find find read about it from multiple perspectives, by the way, because um, I, I just heard Senator Ted Cruz make the statement that critical race theory is as racist as the men in the white hoods. Uh-uh. No, he did not. And to that, and again, that's the type of, I mean, ignorance is an understatement 
it makes my skin crawl that you would compare a group of people who over over a hundred year time period lynched people uh, 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 without punishment, right? I mean, lynched people, 500 in the state of Mississippi in a 70 year time period. And those are the bodies that they found. Mm. And that's the same as a theory that's taught occasionally at the college level in some classes. So again, um, I was going somewhere with that too, but educate just, yourself is what you're saying because yes, yeah. So, so, so I think those are the simple things. But the other thing is this: be intentional about who you kick it with. Mm. Who do your kids get to sit and eat with? Mm. Now, listen, I'm I am a Bible believing Christian, but do you know that my children have been inside of a mosque? So that way they know that if somebody tells them some nonsense, like all terrorists, I'm sorry, all Muslims are terrorists, they're going to say, that's nonsense. Right. One of my daddy's groomsmen was, is Muslim. One of our neighbors down the street is Muslim. We eat at her house at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Be intentional on that. Mm-hmm. Because, because I think experience helps to, to do some of that. What are, what are, what are you about you, Lisa? What, what can we do? I'm thinking from an educational standpoint, you know, I feel for superintendents because we have heard ourselves how they're receiving the emails, the phone calls, the the presentations at school board meetings. And there's the side that is like self-preservation where you give a canned statement. And, and in fact, I saw a segment on the news about, uh, it was Fox because my husband likes to see both sides. And there was a segment that, that attacked just that, that, oh, don't believe what school boards and superintendents are telling you because they've prepared these statements that leave out the important stuff. And so that you don't continue to push back, but continue to fight on. It's like this call for, for action. And I think that it's going to get worse before it gets better. And so I feel for a lot of these district level administrators because it's not an easy task. But that's where that courageous leadership comes to play, right? And you surround yourself with like-minded leaders. Um, And at the end of the day, it really boils down to embracing and celebrating and understanding each individual's humanity so that they have the best possible outcomes. I mean, really. And it's upsetting that critical race theory and these new culturally responsive teaching and leading standards are being uh, used interchangeably. I think people are confusing the two. And that's unfortunate because if you actually took the time to read them, I mean, you, you co-authored them, Maurice. There's not, I mean, is critical race theory even mentioned? It is not. Exactly. And even if it was, I, I don't think that people understand what critical race theory really is. Yeah. A lens. There's a lens through which to uh, a, a way to view. Now, here, here's another thing, though. Do you think, oh, because I thought of this. Do you think that if we have, let's say, black students, white students, Latino students in the same classroom learning about this? 
about systems of oppression. Do you think, number one, that the white child may feel bad about themselves? And number two, that the marginalized, quote unquote, marginalized students would feel bad about themselves? Because I have heard that argument, too, that I don't want my child. And, you know, they love the twist of Dr. King's words on I want my child to not be judged by the color of their skin, but the contact content of their character. But I have seen black parents use that quote to speak out against CRT. Yeah, so I think I, I think if you're a human being and history class is being taught well, you're going to feel bad about some things because humans have done some god-awful things to other humans. Mm. When we would teach about the Holocaust, I would be in tears. So why is it not okay to be in tears when we talk about American slavery? And the genocide of Native Americans. The genocide of Native Americans. Uh, Jim Crow. Why should that not drive us to tears? Mm -hmm. We're we're afraid of feeling. And I'm not. I'm not afraid of feeling. I'm not afraid of asking you to feel. Mm -hmm. Because it is that empathy that you will get from that lesson that will drive you forward to say, as is the the call of the, the Holocaust Museum, never again. But bro, let me tell you, remember when I told you that my experience as a middle school teacher? I so I grew up kind of like we saw in the trivia night that I knew more like Latino history just because I'm Latina and you know none of it because there was we we were non-existent in history class pretty much. With the exception of Cesar Chavez. Okay. And I actually wonder have wondered this would my sense of self be different had i learned about all the oppression that my people went through because when i listen to me when i started to teach my students about cesar chavez i'm telling you they were not into it and their words were that doesn't make us feel good to see migrant workers in those conditions and the fact that they had to unionize and while I thought I was teaching one thing, like the power of, you know, uh, protesting and uniting and fighting for a good cause, they were not perceiving it in that way. And I don't think that that was good for their self-worth. And I think that's what some people are. I'm, I'm just telling you, I think that's what some people are saying against some of the stuff that we teach in school. I think that's part of the argument. And, and I, I wonder being the middle of the road man that you are, could we meet in the middle and dis- dissect that a little further? Because I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that. Yeah. So one of my favorite um, Christian hip hop artists, uh, also very conscious hip hop artist by the name of Sho Baraka says, um, and, and I'm going to mess it up a little bit, but he says, um, only time we learn about black history is slavery. So even when I'm learning, they still putting them chains on me. Right. And, yes. and so there is that idea um, that that victimhood can be taught. But I'm not interested in showing you that for victimhood. I'm interested in showing you that for survivorship. I want you to see. I want you to now. And again, it has to be done well. Right. And, and I think that's where we're 
making so, a mistake. So remember, culturally responsive teaching and leading standards are not standards to be taught to children. They are standards for educators. A culturally responsive teacher is going to do that well. Right. And if you're not there yet, be careful. Tread carefully because you can hurt a kid. You can definitely, I agree with you 100%, you can hurt a kid trying your best to, to, to make that, that connection. Um, but, but you've got to understand how to do it. And that's why these standards are written for teachers. What do I, as a culturally responsive educator or, or, or educational leader, need to be thinking about and doing that's then going to produce a culturally responsive environment for Ooh. my students. Thank you. That's an important distinction, too. Yes, absolutely. Um, because I think that has been one of the one of the attacks is, well, we're teaching our kids uh, about systems of oppression and about, you know, whiteness. And, and no, we're not. That's now, it may come up in conversation, but but I think that you, the educator, does need to understand that what culture am I bringing into the classroom, right, in terms of then how I interact with my students? Mm -hmm. Excellent distinction. I almost want to end on that, no, Maurice. It's not for what we're teaching the kids. It's how we as educators unpack those standards and apply them to our practice. Correct. Correct. It's not to replace a curriculum. Nope. It's not to dictate to school districts how to allocate resources. But I, but I will say this. To those people who say, just teach the curriculum. Just, why, don't, why are we changing things? Why do we got to do things differently than how we've always done them? Look at the data. And there's your answer. Mm. People, people who say just keep doing things the way that they've always done them typically are children for whom the education system has worked well. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot of kids for whom it has not. Right. Look at the prison system. Look at the educational level of, of, our, of, of the average person in the prison system. But here's the thing, too, Maurice, like it's beyond just this school. It's, you know, I, I understand it's economic structures. It's but, you know, but I'm going to take radical responsibility for what I can. And right now, that's the school. Facts. That's why you heard it here first, folks. We will have a social justice academy. It's part of UVB. I'm putting it out there. That's that's literally the way we have direct impact on how things get done and how we can service kids for whom the traditional school system has not worked for. Now you don't spoke it into existence. The yep. power of life and death is in the tongue. So you've spoken it. Let it live. Yep. All right. Final thoughts. My final thought is this. I think back to high school and college. One of my favorite parts of football was when that national anthem was playing. I'm holding my helmet on my head and you just shaking. That adrenaline is rushing. You're getting ready to go. Uh, I fully recognize I got a chance to be a college athlete at a private liberal arts school. I've been to Spain. I've been to Kenya. I've, I, I speak a second language. 
I own a four bedroom house and two cars. You have a really cool friend named Lissette. Oh, my bad. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, all, all that, right? <laughs> and at the same time, you will not convince me that there is not a system in play that makes it so that in this whole neighborhood, there's one other black family. So that's my final word. I just want you to recognize, stop, stop pointing me out as the reason why America is not, doesn't have a racial <laughs> issue. Stop pointing me out. I'm not it. Stop, stop tokenizing him, y'all. All right. I think for the listeners out there, my final thought is kind of like James Baldwin said, I love this country, um, but I also see its flaws. And just because I speak about those flaws does not mean that I am unpatriotic. It does not mean that I am not patriotic Um, because I definitely feel like I'm living what my parents set out for me to do. And that's something that I'm very proud of. Um, And can I just be even more real? If you are non-white following the, I can't stand you. They have the liberty to think what they want to. I know, and I have the liberty to say, I can't stand you. That's true. Okay, all right. right. Keep listening, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right, for Black, this was really honest. This was an honest conversation. All right, for Black, Brown, and Bilingue, I am one of your hosts, Lisa Jacobson. I'm your other host, Maurice McDavid. Muchas gracias for tuning in. Adios. Thank you.